say this morning, say we're continuing our series um, at looking at the old, uh, looking at Jesus through Old Testament eyes. Um, so I was kind of praying about it, thinking about where I could go with this, and actually I've decided to go into the book of Esther. Now I'm not going to do a part of Esther. I'm going to do the whole thing because <laughs> I th- actually feel that if it, as a as a, a the, the drama and the story, the whole of Esther story, it, you need to do it as the whole thing. So with that in mind, I'm not now going to sit here, I stand here and read all 10 chapters, because that would take a little while. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you like an overview of the, what happens during the book of Esther. So as I say, it's a short 10 chapter. It's found after Kings and Chronicles, but before Psalms, if you're looking for it in your Bible. So the events in Esther occur from about 483 BC to 473 BC, and it's during the reign of King Xerxes. Now, I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's an older film now. There's a film called 300, and it's the king in that. There goes Barney, one person, thank you. So he's the king of the Persian Empire. Now, this was during the point where they were at their apex. So I've got a, a picture up on the PowerPoint in a minute. The, the, the empire of Persia was huge. He was a very powerful king. And he was actually often referred to as a king of kings because of how many different nations he had sort of dominion over. So he's our first character in our story, King Xerxes. So as you can see, it kind of reached reach all the way from sort of the top of North Africa all the way over to nearly India. So it's a huge empire. So that's King Xerxes. That's our first character. And the next character in our story is Mordecai. Now, Mordecai, it was actually um, descended, he's a Jewish descendant who um, was taken out of Israel during uh, Babylonian captivity. So he was taken out at that point, then there was a, a conquering, and he was ended up in the capital city of Susa, which is in sort of where modern-day Iran is now. So he was a uh, Jew. Now, he was Esther's cousin. Now, Esther's our main person. You know, the, the book is written on, in her name, as it were, so she's our main character. She actually was the adopted daughter. So her parents died, and her cousin, who was, I'm, I'm guessing, quite a bit older than her, took on the role of an adopted parent and looked after her. Now, the one thing that we did, are said about her is that actually she, he specifically instructs her to keep her nationality, her Jewish heritage, hidden for a big chunk of the, the story. But the other thing that we get very early in the story, which is obvious, is she's obviously known for her beauty. And as we do the story, it'll come out. The last character, now the last main character in it is Haman. Now he was the vizier, which is a high-ranking political advisor. Now if you've, has anyone seen the film Aladdin? Jafar, think Jafar, there you go, it's an easy one. He was like the, the person who spoke to the king and gave him advice, not necessarily good advice. So he was, the, he was a descendant of Agag, and that was the king of the Amalekites. Now it's really funny, if you look back in the early part of the Old Testament, they were the historical enemies of Israel. They, time and time again, they had that history. So actually, even before this rolls out, he had a natural racial hatred towards the Jews. They were enemies. They naturally didn't like each other. And as we're going to unpack, he actually really shows that he doesn't like Jews. So, okay, this is before any of his dealings in the story. Now, I'm going to, it's a bit of a spoiler here. I'm going to kind of go to the end almost straight away. But actually, there's actually a Jewish festival that is celebrated now because of the Book of Esther, and it's called Purim. And it is basically, it occurs, and the idea is that they're remembering that God came through and the deliverance of the Jewish people in this story. Now, you can join in here, because actually in the Jewish festival, what they do is they read the story of Esther out, and then they boo whenever they hear the name Haman. They boo. 
because they, they want to dishonor his name, disgrace him. So I just thought, like, you know, it's a little bit, you can almost become a little bit pantomime, you know, it's the bad character. So I'm going to encourage you, if you when I say Haman, to just go, okay, there we go. That's brilliant, excellent. So, so just, but this is just because this gave, perhaps gives us an idea of how this is sort of this book scene in the Jewish side of things. So I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I've got a paraphrased version. So the book of Esther begins with Queen Vashti, the current queen, uh, refusing to obey the que- king's order. And the king Xerxes, who, let me be clear, when you're a king with that sort of empire, you expect your, uh, your orders to be sort of dealt with straight away, especially from your queen. So he gets very annoyed with this, and he banishes her. So a search begins for a new queen. The king sends out a decree to gather all the beautiful women in the empire and bring them to the royal harem. Esther is a young, a young Jewish woman and was one of those chosen. Again, as it's, it goes into detail about specifically because of her beauty. And he ends up being so pleased with her that she's the one that he chooses to be his queen. Meanwhile, Mordecai, Esther's older cousin, has become a government official. And during his tenure, he foils an assassination plot on King Xerxes. But the ambitious and self-serving Haman was appointed second in command in the empire. Now, Mordecai, because of his Jewish beliefs, refused to bow in reverence to him. Haman was demanding that he would bow to him, and he was furious, and he was determined to destroy Mordecai. And because, of we talked about this race, did he realize he was, because he was Jewish, he's like, I want to destroy all of his people as well. So, to accomplish this vengeful deed, Haman deceived the king and persuaded him to issue an edict. Now, it's like a, a, a proclamation, a king's rule for this, uh, condemning the Jews to death. Mordecai told Queen Esther about the edict, and, decide, and she decided to risk her life to save her people. Esther asked King Xerxes and Haman to be her guests at a banquet. During the feast, the king asked Esther what she really wanted and promised to give her anything. Esther simply invited both men to come to another banquet the next day. That night, unable to sleep, King Xerxes was flipping through some records in the royal archives when he read of the assassination plot that Mordecai had thwarted. He was surprised to learn that Mordecai had never been rewarded for this deed. So the king asked Haman what should be done to thank a hero properly. Now, Haman thought the king must be talking about him, so he described a lavish reward of putting him on, someone on the king's horse and parading them through the city. The king completely agreed with his proposal, but to Haman's shock and utter humiliation, he learned it was for Mordecai, and he was the person who was honoured. During the second banquet, the king again asked Esther what she desired, and she replied that someone had plotted to destroy her and her people. And she named Haman as the culprit. Immediately, the king sentenced Haman to die on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. In the final act of this true life drama, Mordecai was appointed to Haman's position, and the Jews were guaranteed protection throughout the land. To celebrate the occasion, the Feast of Purim was established. So, that's the overview of the book of Esther. So, now the reason this is an unusual book to go into is actually, if you look at the original version of it, there is no name, title, or pronoun for God that appears in the book. And apparently this, when they were specifically looking at it, Bible scholars, many years ago, they actually even began to question why it was included in the Bible. They're saying God's not mentioned in it. But I hope that this morning I can break open it up and say, convince you that actually it is a really valuable book. And what I want to try and do now is, is anyone like 
those TV programs about crime drama or CSI and things like that, and crime scene investigation. Well, I think we kind of have to do this, is that when you watch one of those programs, they go into a room, and there'll be stuff laid out, and they'll, they'll, all it will look like is simple, but when they go in forensically investigate, they're able to piece together exactly where people were standing, exactly what was happening, exactly where all the things occurred. And I think if we look at Esther, when we look at it in that way, the main thing is you just see the fingerprints of God all over it. He had his hand all over it. The first part is the timings. If you look at the timings, it, the timings between, when I've just read it out to you, if you look at it, Esther, she ended up being adopted by her cousin. You know, her parents passed away, she was adopted by her cousin and ended up in this city for a reason. She became queen. Now, when she became queen, I've just said she became queen. That, it wasn't as simple as that. When she, became, when she was originally taken into harem, she was then put through 12 months of beauty treatment. Now, I know that my wife sometimes gets her nails done and things like that, and I know that she sometimes goes, yeah, it's going to be a bit tedious. I'm imagining 12 months of that must be a little bit annoying. But there was a reason for this, the timings of everything, because Haman rises into more power in the situation, and then he, again, as I say, he plots to kill the Jews. Xerxes can't, you know, he can't sleep during the two feasts and gets up, and what does he start <coughs> flicking through? He's then suddenly reminded about what Mordecai did. There's so many parts in this story. Esker tells the king at the second banquet. And even the best bit is that where I said that, you know, she said that Haman was going to try and get, and he put him to death. Well, actually, originally, he was furious with him and walks out. And he said, You'll be, you know, he was absolutely furious and walks out. But what happens next is Haman begs. He gets on his knees and he like crawls after Esther. And she's in, actually, she's in the royal bedroom and he's crawling after her. And it's only when Xerxes walks in on her and goes, what is he doing now? And he has him killed immediately. So a lot of the things in this, it's timing. You know, he didn't have a chance to try and talk the king round as he had done previously. So you can see that God's timing in this story and how he had his hand on Esther as she went into the situation is amazing. But... Our series was specifically trying to look at Jesus through Old Testament eyes. So I want to try and break down what I see in this. And one of the things we can look at is Jesus is a better Esther. And the reason I say that is, if we look at Esther, we see the situation. She knew that she had to go before the king to plead for her people. She, she, had to, she knew there was a chance because the rules then were very strict. If the king did not summon you, you were not welcome. You were not welcome into his presence, and he could issue you to be killed immediately. So she knew there was a chance that she was going to die if she went into his presence. He might have been in a mood. He might have been drunk. Now, if we read the story of Esther, quite regularly it appears that he was, it, was, it says he was happy with wine. I feel that he may have been a relatively, you know, he might have been drunk at the time she walked in and just got angry for no reason. So she was taking a huge risk to go into his presence. So she dressed herself in her royal robes and went to see the king. But when we compare that to, you know, I'm saying that Jesus is a better Esther. Jesus didn't just face possible death. He knew that he would have to die. He didn't face the chance of it. He faced the certainty of it. In Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He knew what he had to do. He knew where he was going. He knew what the end result was going to be. He knew that the cross waited for him and that he would have to die to accomplish it. So he, in that sense, 
The other part, another thing of where we're saying Jesus is a better Esther. Now, it specifically says in chapter 5, when Esther goes before the king, the title in my um, NIV book is Esther intercedes for the Jews. Now, intercedes, a bit of an unusual word. We don't usually use it. And it actually means to intervene on behalf of another. Now, she was going to intervene on behalf of the people. You know, she was, she was the one who was able to go into the presence of the king as the queen and try and intervene on behalf of the Jews. There weren't any, none of the other Jewish people could have done that. But if we look, if we go into Romans 8, this is what it says. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is it the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered a sheep to be slaughtered? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, before Jesus came, the Jewish people had their high priests. And the high priests used to go and they used to offer sacrifices, first for their sin, they would offer sacrifices for their sin, and then they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. They were doing the interceding part. But we see here, Jesus came and he was sinless. So he didn't need to make any sacrifice. But by his death on the cross, his sacrifice was enough for all of us. And he's interceding for us. He is intervening on our behalf. And he continues to do so every day. He stands at the Father's right hand and intercedes for us. As we make mistakes, which we all do, he reminds God, it's done. That person, they have chosen to believe in me. It's done. And, you know, that is such a, he's there interceding on behalf, which is amazing, really. You know, he's choosing to be the one that intervenes for us. The other area I want to look at in Esther, which I find amazingly interesting, which we can put a parallel on, is the edict. So the edict, as I said earlier, is an official order or proclamation that was issued by a person in authority. And in this case, it was King Xerxes. And the official order in those days was marked, and it says there, and there is, by a signet ring. So he had a ring on his finger. They would mark it, so it was usually in wax on a seal, to show this is my order, to prove it was from him. And obviously, with what we've looked at the map of his empire, if he'd given an order, everyone in that empire was expected to carry it out. So the first edict was Haman's request for the Jewish people to be killed. But when Haman was executed, Esther went to Xerxes and asked him to send a dispatch to overrule the original edict. So in Esther 8, we find, If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favour and thinks it is the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman's son had Hamadetha 
and the Agate devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on a pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name on behalf of the Jews, as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. Now this is an interesting picture. He couldn't just write something to annul it. it once it was there, it can't be revoked. It was, it was, that was the way it is. Now if we look at the parallel with Jesus... He came to die on the cross as payment for our sins. God's original law could not be revoked. Sin is still sin, and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came to bring a new covenant that belief in him would give us eternal life. In Romans 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is still death. That doesn't change. Jesus came and he gave us an answer, but it doesn't change the original. Jesus stood and took the punishment. That's what he did when he made the choice to go to the cross. He took the punishment that we should receive. But it was given so that we could choose to believe in him and go free. The second. So I just want to encourage you there this morning. It's, this, is, this is what I really enjoyed reading through this. I... I I shared with a couple of people this morning before, before the service. I, I, I would say that when I speak and when I preach, it's not my natural thing that I find really comfortable. Um, it's not, I don't feel it's my gifting in that sense. And I find, you know, about three or four weeks before I see my names on the road, and I'm like, oh, no, okay, I've got to think about this. What am I going to preach on? And then it's two weeks out. Okay, I really need to start preparing. So I was, usually what I do is I, I can only give you the description of, the way I prepare a preach is I get a lot of information. I go to a lot of different sources, whether it's uh, Bible scholars, and I put it all in a big sieve and then kind of try and shake it out and try and get something out at the bottom of it. But can I, I to be really honest with this, is that I always almost dread it until I start. And then as soon as I start, it's just really enjoyable to dig in. And I, I found out some of these things in Esther that I hadn't possibly seen before. It was like re opening my eyes to that realisation of these truths that are in this book. And I just want to encourage you that, you know, digging into a book of the Bible and just taking time to... I, I actually almost felt like if someone had said to me this morning, actually, Dave, we've got a really great guest speaker coming this morning. They're going to speak instead of you. I wouldn't be bothered because actually, you know, I've been so blessed just enjoying digging into this and learning about it myself. So I just want to encourage you. This is something you, we can learn so much out of the books of the Bible just by digging in. But what can we learn from Esther's example? So, I'm th most people here, when I said the Esther, would probably know one verse in Esther that is almost the famous Esther verse, which is uh, from chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai says to Esther, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for time such as this. So that's, the, yeah. Now, I've actually got in my kitchen, I've got a picture of it, a little picture, that, and it's, it's a paraphrased version of it, which is, and it just says, you see there, it says, perhaps you were born 
for such a time as this. Now, I want to really encourage you in this. Esther, if we look in the story, was uniquely positioned. She was uniquely positioned to be able to act on behalf of the Jewish people and intercede with the king. God had placed her where she needed to be. This is, again, where we look at that story and we say, where is God in it? God put her where she needed to be. She needed to be there to do this task. I want you to now think about your situation. It's unique. You are each unique in the fact that you have different families. You have different jobs. You have different friends, different neighbours. Each of us has been uniquely placed by God where you are. You've also been uniquely made in who you are. We are each uniquely gifted. I, for example, have not been gifted as a worship leader. My wife often tells me that I'm slightly musically challenged. I love music, but I have tried to learn instruments many occasions. It's not my gifting. I can't do it. it but I love music. But do you know what? Each of us has got unique things that God has placed inside of us. Now, so we're saying we are each uniquely placed and we are uniquely gifted. So we need to be start thinking about that Esther verse in the situations we're in. Perhaps I was born for such a time as this because you are the one in your unique situation. Now, the other thing that I get when I prepare a preach and start working on something is when I'm putting it all together, I always, the words always go in my head, practice what you preach. So as I'm preparing stuff, and if there's stuff where I feel like I'm going to try and challenge, I say, well, you've got to step up. If you're going to challenge people to do a certain thing or to step out in a certain area, you need to do that too. Now, I was able to get this situation. I'm uniquely placed. I live in Adelston. I'm married to my wife, Lizzie. We have two children. I grew up in Chertsey. I work in Chertsey. I'm very fortunate. I work just down the road. Now, I... Yeah, Lizzie always jokes with me on this. Is I can tell you what I do as a job, which is I manage a team of engineers, and they're computer network engineers. And then Lizzie says, yeah, but you can never actually explain what your company does. And it's like, yeah, quite. And it's unfortunately, if you don't know the industry I'm in, there's probably about four people in here that actually know what my job is and really understand it well. And it's because it's such a niche part of the IT industry. But the company I work for is a huge American organization, and it's a multi-billion dollar corporation. The challenge of being part of a big corporation is everyone is encouraged to be themselves, but you're not encouraged to perhaps share who you are, particularly if it's to do with faith, to do with your, if you believe in things. Because it's very much, well, you don't want to offend anyone. You've got to, you can have that belief, but it needs to be carefully put away in a box and not really opened up. The challenge I get is I, I often sit there and think, oh, it's really hard to share at work or to offer to pray for someone or something like that, just because there is that, dare I say it, threat of you know, repercussions if someone didn't like that and they reported it to our HR. So this week, as I was preparing for this, and I was, you know, it's going through my mind, I'm uniquely placed, you know, perhaps I'm born for such a time as this. I had two opportunities, and I felt God opened the door and said, well, come on, are you going to walk through this door or not? And I just want to share them. Now, I'm going to put this around. They're not big efforts on my part. They're not me going out of my way and praying for the whole office and someone you know, being healed of some disease. It's not big things. But I want to share to you that actually we can be uniquely placed just to do something small and just to step out. 
So the two parts is one of them was one of my team. Uh, he's having quite a lot of personal issues at the moment. Um, and he's a bit, he doesn't really know what to do. He doesn't, he, and a lot of it is, stems from where he is at the moment. And he's kind of come up in his mind with this idea of, I'm going to transfer to one of our other offices. And he's thinking of moving to the office in Singapore. Now, I was like, okay. I'm, but again, when you're in these sorts of situations, because I know it's very much, it's not a career change move. It's very much a, my personal life is messy here. I'm just going to run away and go there. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, but he, he, now I know he's, he's from a very strong Orthodox Christian background. From, he's an African guy. I don't want to make it too obvious who he is. But, and he just said to me, and he, uh, it, this is it, and it was a little tiny frail coma. I really need to go away and pray about it. And I could just feel, yeah, okay. Do you know what? I'm going to pray for you too. And he just looked at me and went, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And that was, again, it was just this week. I was like, okay, I need to be able to step out in this. It wasn't a big thing. I didn't, you know, we didn't set up a meeting together and pray for it. I just said, I'll pray for you while you're praying. And he just said, thank you. Now, this is over the weekend, so I'll see him on Monday and have a chat with him. The other one is I work with a team as a team of managers. Uh, one of them I get on very well with. And he chucked in the throwaway comment on Friday afternoon. So what are you doing this weekend? Yeah, well, actually, I am preaching on Sunday. Oh, what are you preaching on? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Right, I've got, the door is open. The door is open. Okay, I can share. And it was great to talk to him. He's a guy, he's a little bit older than me, he's sort of early 50s. And I was talking about Esther, and he's like, do you know what? He goes, when I was at school, we did, and he said, when we were at school, we did all the loads of the Bible stories. He goes, I don't remember Esther at all. He goes, I remember like Daniel and all the obvious ones. He's, but I don't remember that one. He goes, I don't remember that book at all. And it was great because it opened the door, and I just chatted to him shared a bit about why I was preaching, what I was preaching on and stuff. And he was like, oh, that's quite interesting. And do you know what? Those are two examples where I was uniquely placed to be able to have those two conversations. Now, I didn't do anything big. You know, I, I, but all I did was say, okay, if this is the time that you want me to share, I'm going to share. So I just want to encourage you, as we look this morning, you're uniquely placed. You're uniquely placed when someone asks you, what are you doing at the weekend? You tell them you're going to church. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. What about if you see a visitor sitting at church here? Could you go up and talk to them? Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. You've got a friend who's unwell. They say they're unwell. Could you offer to pray for them? Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Maybe even you're feeling God has laid a prophetic word on you to share. Could you share that with your connect group in the midweek? Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. I want to encourage you, this isn't just about stepping out in faith to people who are non-believers. I want to encourage you, we've got, as Adrian's already said, we've got our encounter evening coming next Tuesday. Now, part of the reason we're doing this is we're encouraging people to step out in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, you may go, oh, yeah, do you know what? I, there's a gifting that I know that I have that I don't step out in and I need to step out, and maybe this is the encouragement I need. But equally, you could be sitting there going, what gifting? I haven't, I haven't got any gifting, or I don't know what my gifting is. So I just want to encourage you that actually we're all called. We're all called to bring gifting. You know, we're all called to step and give it little encouragements to one another. Do you know what? I'm more encouraged sometimes by when I hear a voice who I've never heard before praying out a prayer, because I know how much it takes to 
to be, build up courage to say, I'm going to pray out. It might just be in a connect group. It might be on a Sunday morning. But I just want to encourage you that, you know, everyone here can bring something really good. And I want to encourage you, when you before the encounter, don't wait until 7.30 when you arrive. Pray about it. Ask God, what, what, what could I bring? What, what might you want me to bring? And actually, this is exactly what we want to do. We want to say, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Now, when Esther first approached the king, she clothed herself in her royal robes to approach the throne. Now, it's, it's funny because I, just before my preach, I sh- shot out to go to the toilet before I sat, and then Steve walked in as well. And I just said to him, what you bought, your word about the rags and the robes, I was like, that's literally what I'm going to mention in my preach. And that gives me encouragement because it says, okay, this is something God wants to say. So I want to encourage you here. This is when Esther approached the king, the reason she dressed herself in her royal robes made herself, reminded the king who she was. She was the queen. And he looked on her, and as ever, he probably saw her beauty, which we've talked about, but he would have seen her robes, and it reminded him, this is my queen. And then he accepted her, and he spoke to her. But we need to remind ourselves, actually, who we are in Christ. We don't need to wear royal robes to show other people. We need to look at the royal robes we're garbed in and remind ourselves who we are in Christ. When we face situations, we need to remember we have his righteousness and authority. And perhaps I was born for such a time as this is because we're stepping out with his authority. When I was preparing this speech, there was two areas that I really got a sense that I just wanted to sort of encourage people. And I'm going to, in a minute, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. But I wanted two areas, and I feel that God was sort of laid on my heart for people. The first one is to ask for Esther-like boldness. To step out in faith requires action. She, had to, she knew what she had to do. She had to do something. She had to step out in faith. Now, one of my favorite verses is uh, from 1 Samuel 14, and it's Jonathan and the armor bearer. And he says, come on, let's go over to that outpost, and perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. He says, he doesn't wait for the confirmation. He says, I'm going to step out. If God's with me, that's great. If God's not with me, we'll step back. But he was willing to act, and we've got to. And that's that Esther-like boldness. She had to step out in faith. She had to go into the presence. And I want to encourage you this morning, if there's areas you're thinking, okay, I, I need more boldness. I know I've had some of those doors that are open, but I've kind of walked away from them. I do that. It's not, this isn't just, I, I, I've done it this week, but that's because I've been preparing for this preach and I've been reminded. But I want to, I'm going to try and be encouraged to be more bold. So if that's you, if you're sitting there thinking, do you know what? I want to be more bold in whether it's sharing, you know, your giftings, or whether it's stepping out and encouraging other people. Whatever it may be, if you feel that you need that, that Esther-like boldness, I really would like to pray for you this morning. But the other one that really settled on my heart last night, and I was just praying and asking God about it, was not waiting for such a time as this. Now, this is something that sounds, sounds a bit funny, but you might, when you hear that, perhaps I was born for such a time as this, you might have a certain thing that you think you were born for. You've had a calling on your life. Maybe God said, I, you know, I want, you know you, you're called to do a certain thing. And I just got the sense that there's some people who are waiting for that. 
oh, well, I know what that time is. It's because I've been called to do this, but I'm not doing it now, so I'll sit back and wait. And I just want to encourage you that actually we should be asking that question every, t- every time, every situation we're in, because God's place is uniquely now. He may well uniquely place us somewhere in the future, and that may be where we're called to. But he hasn't put us where we are now as a mistake. You can see that in the book of Esther. He does it, it's part of his plan. We, as we look at the whole Old Testament, it is a plan from start to finish. Everything is placed where it needs to be. You may be called to go and do a ministry in the future, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't placed you here now in the situation you're in for a reason. And I really want to encourage you, that's something that is laid on you that you feel when you hear the words, perhaps I was born such as this, you think I am born for that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to when that happens and I'll be ready for it. I just want to encourage you now that God wants to release you where you are right now. And he says he wants to do things through you right now. So I'm going to ask Janet and the band to come back in just a second. But I just want to encourage you, if those are things that hit you, you know, if they're landing with you and you feel, you know what, I want to step out in boldness. And let me be clear, it can be something simple. For everybody, you know, it says that we're given faith for what we have faith for. You, you're not expected to step from here to there. God says, just step out where you're at. But if it's, that's a boldness you want. If it's just saying, okay, I'm going to have that conversation over the fence to my neighbour next door. I've been meaning to do it for months. Or if it's just talking to that colleague at work who said they weren't feeling very well. Whatever it may be, I want to encourage you that you, know, you can ask God for that boldness.